HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Alto Adige Wines, wines from the Italian Alps. For more information, visit altoadigewines.com. Alex, do you want to tell our listeners why we started Tillit? Sure. So basically, we started it out of need and out of something that uh, I felt like was necessary in the industry. I had been a chef for uh, nearly 20 years and was essentially tired of wearing the clothes that were provided. I didn't feel good in them. I didn't feel proud of who I was in my career um, and felt like better options that were more functional, that were better designed, that were more contemporary, uh, were very necessary in this industry. I can't believe I went out with you wearing those old baggy chef pants and chef coat when we first met 20 years ago. He used to go to the bar with his like really ugly baggy like Czech chef pants and they had stains from putting his tongs in the pocket, which is so nasty when you think about it. Still came home with me from the bar. Okay. Those dirty chef pants on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hot mics, hot mics. Oh, they're really hot. Yikes. This is a PG pod. This is a PG <laughs> podcast. Jenny Goodman and Alex McCreary started their chefware goods company Tillit NYC to fix a problem that had bothered Alex throughout his career as a chef. Some might consider fashion trivial or a luxury concern, but as Alex just alluded to, the clothes we wear day in and day out can impact our sense of self-worth or become a fundamental form of self-expression. This episode of Meet and 3 is all about what we wear and what it communicates to the world around us. Oh, and if you want to hear more from Jenny and Alex, they are just about to wrap a special season of their HRN podcast opening soon that follows one Brooklyn restaurateur on his year-long journey from signing the lease to, with any luck, a successful opening day. You can follow along over 10 episodes by searching for Opening Soon wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, I'm Matt Patterson, and this is Meeting 3 on HRN. Meet and three. Meet and three. Meet and three. One meet, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meet and three. So we produce Meet and Three remotely, and it can be hard for fashion choices to make an impact through the lens of a Google Meet. 
But if I had to pick just one of our current producers to kick off this episode, it would, without question, be Sasha DuBose. Sasha is fashionable in many ways, but as an audio engineer, my favorite are these headphones that they have. They have these cones that stick up in the air, kind of like the crown of the Statue of Liberty, except that they alternate between pink and black, and they look like they're maybe made of yarn or something. They make me smile every time. If you want more of that energy in your life, you can follow Sasha at Snack with Sash. And let's listen in to their story about food, fashion, and living your best life. What do you wear when you cook your favorite meal? I like to don my finest robes, a baggy t-shirt, and an apron if I remember to put it on. I'm often thrust into the kitchen, quickly making a meal, paying no attention to how I look. This is not the case for storyteller Morgan Lindsay, whose outfits are just as vibrant as the recipes she creates. (laughs) Like a quick little tequila shot of Morgan is that she loves to use style and fashion as a means of expression. And her love language often is making food for the people that she loves. Like Morgan, food and fashion are two of my favorite things. A good day for me is defined by a yummy meal and a killer outfit. However, the intersection between these two goes so much deeper than just putting on my favorite fit for a dinner date. I just feel like fashion and food are mediums for beauty. And in the same way, they both are a way to express something about yourself and also connect with your heritage and connect with your roots and connect with your identity. That's why they're both so important to me. Food and fashion are some of life's greatest pleasures, but who gets to enjoy them without scrutiny? For women and femmes especially, food and fashion are seen as frivolous hobbies instead of meaningful passions. Growing up, Morgan did not see women who looked like her living life to the fullest. This motivates Morgan to use clothes and cooking as tools to subvert these ideas and nourish herself, inside and out. It's like, how dare you think that you should be able to enjoy this food or wear these clothes or... um, have the luxury of self-reflection. So food and taking yourself from the position of, oh, a woman's place is in the kitchen and reclaiming that and be like, yeah, my place is also in the kitchen like yours because I am going to make this food to nourish myself. When life gets grim, food and fashion bring beauty back into our lives. We try to trivialize it and make it seem as if it's not that important. But if we removed beauty from the world, there wouldn't really be a will to continue. (laughs) So beauty is an essential ingredient. And how you dress, how you feel about yourself in your clothes and the food that you eat and making it beautiful for yourself and plating it and romanticizing it all are ways for you to add that beauty in your own life and in the lives of others. So that's why they both go hand in hand for me. The next time I cook my favorite meal, I'll have to upgrade from my baggy t-shirt and put on something that's truly affirming, even if it's just my apron. When it comes to nourishing ourselves, what we put outside of our bodies is just as important as what we put in them. John DeBerry recently wrote his second book of cocktails, this one with a 90s twist called Saved by the Bellini. This summer, HRN is proud to present Saved by the Bellini, the podcast, a companion to his book that gives listeners a behind-the-scenes look at John's process and inspirations. 
He has some modern takes on classic drinks, like a highball with a Legend of Zelda style, and some new inventions, like Jamaican rum with tapioca pearls, Mountain Dew, and a Nerf gun-inspired aesthetic. He sat down with Elias Guerra to talk about drinks and fashion. John attributes a lot of his influence to growing up in the 90s, playing video games, and watching classic TV like Saved by the Bell. If you ever meet John or watch some of his videos, his personal style will confirm that he is a true child of the 90s. With Saved by the Bellini, John is on a mission to unironically liberate his childhood self and let out the pyrotechnic nerd that no one saw coming. If you're nostalgic for Dunkaroos, Nerf guns, and X-Men, keep listening. This is John DeBerry. Uh, and then I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt that has an all-over print of uh, Sonic the Hedgehog where it's like when you win and you free all the little creatures and like Sonic comes up in the screen and gives a little like victory V sign. As John will tell you, he wasn't the most obviously rebellious teenager, but he knew himself and he knew about self-trust. My grandmother was super fashionable. I actually, I wear her glasses. I'm not wearing them now because they're kind of uncomfortable, but like these really cute like pink glasses that are like, everyone is like, oh my God, this is so cool. My dad once saw me wearing them and he was like, John, this is the coolest glasses I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm like, they're your mom's, first of all. <laughs> John said his parents never considered themselves very fashionable, but they had very good taste. And he said that knowing he was gay from a young age gave him a perspective most kids didn't have. Anyone who knew me when I was a child would laugh when I say I was edgy, but I was like aspirationally edgy. Like I tried to be like, you know, I knew I was gay from the moment I was born. You know, like I knew I was different. Like I knew that like being different was cool. And I think that I learned that like a lot of those lessons from my mom. And she was one of the things she said to me was like, you know, if you're in a room and you feel like you're the smartest person in the room, like it's a bad room to be in. And this gave John the ability to develop his own sense of style. To this day, John keeps this perspective in everything he does, from his personal style to inventing his own cocktails. A lot of what I chose to write about in the book was sort of like as a way of both rehabilitating my tastes in from when I was younger and like, no, I actually like Sonic is cool. Magic cards were awesome and they still are awesome. But also like it's sort of a wish fulfillment thing where it's like, I wish I was liberated enough to have fully engaged with a lot of these things that I thought were really cool. Saved by the Bellini's illustrator, Claire Kirkpatrick, sat down with John to discuss their inspirations for the book on the first episode of John's new show. Like John, a lot of Claire's style is also inspired by the 90s, but she's 10 years younger and a lot of Claire's memories are more like impressions. It felt like there was like a an aesthetic that is rooted in large in some part by like kind of this sort of '90s cartoony, vaguely Memphisy. It definitely has to do with growing up watching TV in the '90s. I think there's so much about Arthur that really influences me, just like in the line work and the colors. Sailor Moon, Hey Arnold, and Green Day's Dookie count among some of Claire's other influences growing up. Food and art can take us back to some of our earliest memories, and the same is true for Clara. Clara's memories are filled with old cartoons, which you can see in the thick lines and bold colors. And I would take the book, and I would put a stack of printer paper on it, and then I would get a pen, get a pencil, get an eraser, and that's all. And then I would like sit in front of the TV for hours, just drawing. And that's exactly how I still work. Wow. And if I'm really working hard on a deadline, sometimes I have TV playing. Like many artists, Claire's expression came out of necessity as a means of self-expression, the way a bartender or a designer shows the different parts of themselves. What's funny for me is that I don't necessarily usually plan out what I do at all. It just sort of goes. 
my brain really works best uh, when I'm drawing. It's I, I have a harder time, you know, formulating an idea verbally than I do either written or on, you know, in a drawing. The things that nursed us as children show up later in life as we navigate the world. From the clothes we wear to the things we eat, nostalgia plays a big part in self-expression. Loud and proud is how John DeBerry and Claire Kirkpatrick embrace themselves. If you want to hear the rest of John's conversation with Clara or the other six episodes in the series, subscribe to Eat Your Words Presents Saved by the Bellini wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a brief break. Today's program was brought to you by Alto Adige Wines, wines from the Italian Alps. In the northeast corner of Italy, Alto Adige is one of the country's smallest wine-producing regions, yet one of its most multifaceted. Shaped by the Alps and Dolomites to the north, and Mediterranean influences from the south, Alto Adige produces an extraordinary range of top-quality wines from more than 20 different grape varieties, and wine growers tend vineyards at elevations ranging from 600 to 3,300 feet above sea level. Considered Italy's leading white wine region, look for Pinot Bianco, Sauvignon, Gewürztraminer, and Pinot Grigio. Don't miss out on indigenous reds like Schiava, also called Vernacci, and Lagrine, as well as Pinot Noir. For more information, visit www.altoadigewines.com. Campaign financed by EU Regulation 1308-2013. Welcome back to Meet and 3. We tend to think what we wear, what we buy, and what we eat are individual choices, but our next conversation proves otherwise. At this year's South by Southwest, HRN's roving reporter Christine Sykes-Lowe spoke with Dr. Morgane Gay, a food futurologist and trend consultant. Their conversation highlighted the ways fashion is intrinsically connected to our current state of the world, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, part of the trends um, as we're coming out of that, um, certainly in fashion, what you went through with your slides, and just different things that I saw was uh, the big hug, the billowy, the the, the full mouth feel on a on a fluffy pancake. Um, mm. You know, just different things that people were craving. Yeah. Um, actually, probably during the pandemic and after, yes, you see yeah. that still happening. Yeah. So it's, it's people. It's people realizing they were skin hungry. No, no hugs like an isolation of self and then wanting hugs and finding ways to do that and food emulating that now. But it takes a while for brands to get to that so that we see more sort of marshmallowy type textures, fluffy, puffy Japanese pancakes becoming the coolest latest thing, right? All of that kind of thing takes a while to actually come to market because people have got to make it, brand it, get it out there. But it's, it's really responding to that time. And I think people still now are only, some people are still only now just beginning to travel again. And our desire to connect to nature during the pandemic reflected in our fashion choices. Before, we felt like we were human beings 
living in, you know, dominating nature. And I think now we're much more aware that we have a synergy, which we obviously do, but we've we sort of separated ourselves and and now we're understanding and wanting to be much more connected with, bring the outside in and take the and take the inside out, make it a much more fluid experience, have lots more countertop growing systems. Um, we're seeing we're seeing florals and everything to do with nature, whether it's a, a motif or even a fabric made from foods or made from something from nature. So a leather made from leaves, for example, or ways in which we can have a handle, which is a twig on something that might be ceramic. Brands will always pick up on our life changes and experiences, whether we notice it or not. Even without them knowing, you know, some people aren't even necessarily aware of how they've changed. We are all some, whether it's conscious or not conscious, we are changed by life events. And, and most people are, you know, they're, they're different and they're experiencing life differently. Their aspirations are different. Their value systems changed. And that will start to play out more and more in what brands create and how people live and perhaps change their lives because of what's happened. If you want to hear the rest of Christine's conversation with Dr. Morgane Gay, check out episode 439 of HRN On Tour. In our last story on food and fashion, Charlotte Rhodes explores how certain artists are crafting quite literal takes on the phrase, we are what we eat. To consider how food fits into the physical fabric of fashion and design, I talked with Netherland-based artist Lotta Ohms. She describes herself as a visual storyteller that works primarily with biological materials, which includes both food and non-food waste. Most importantly, Lotta is focused on things unseen. In general, in my whole practice, I really look at things or animals or species that are not seen or overlooked or not seen as helpful and are not at the moment producing or helping out for something, but in the bigger perspective they are, or materials as well. And that's why I really feel that sometimes it's my job to to make that visible to the people who visit my presentations. Sustainability has gained traction in both the fashion and art world. Its popularity has produced lots of innovation in textile and material science. As emerging designers and artists enter the scene, their relationship to sustainability will shape the future of the industry. And now it's also, you see that artists also really take on this environmental crisis more. I see now a switch that artists, they are more working towards changing the story or making the perspective on climate change so that, that people really want to get involved and do something or feel something for like for it or with it. They really want to also get on this like waterfall on the right of biodesign but sometimes I think they're not really looking into what it means to work with a biomaterial or to work with a waste material that you also need to change the whole logistic system and the whole uh, like production system before you can actually make it work and into a sustainable design. 
Lotta believes in the importance of using what already exists to create biomaterials, rather than inventing something new, which risks polluting or producing more waste. For example, Lotta took inspiration from Inuit design and created an anorak with cow intestines that were discarded by local butchers. She cautioned that we should be critical of the impact that sustainable materials can make if harmful production processes remain largely unchanged. Yeah, I think nowadays in like art and design, we think about the first few steps, which are very romantic. It's like, I love to work with nature. I love to work with sustainable things. But what's like the backstory? Like we need to think about the further, like the other steps. Talking with Lotta, I learned a few lessons from her art practice that helped me understand sustainable design more holistically. One, she prefers working with site-specific and seasonal materials. Two, she considers both the local history of her materials and the future impacts of its use. And three, her work can be left in nature to either decompose or be used by others that come after her. While waste-derived materials are crucial for a truly sustainable future, they must be implemented responsibly and intentionally. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guests and topics we touched on this week by checking out our show notes. Special thanks this week to Sasha Dubose, Elias Guerra, Charlotte Rhodes, and Clara Thompson. Meet and Three is produced by H. Connolly, Taylor Early, and me, Matt Patterson. Our audio engineer for this episode is Armin Spengen. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say, hey, write us at ideas at meetn3.nyc. That's all spelled out.